Hello, good morning, good evening, or whatever time it is where you are. This is Stephanie, and there's my podcast for today, which happens to be January... day is it? Actually, January 19th, 2022. I can't believe that it's almost the end of January. So I had a nightmare this morning. I had a COVID nightmare. This is really not so great when you're having COVID nightmares. And some of you may know that I live with my elderly parents. Now, I moved in with them when I got sick a couple years ago. I have been recovering. I am, I would say I'm a lot better, but then I have uh, relapses and things. And so it's kind of like an up and down process for me to, uh, for me to get back on my feet. And they are at that age where they are vulnerable from COVID. They are in their mid seventies. They do have some underlying conditions. They have been double vaccinated and boosted. I tried to talk them out of the booster. I tried to tell them when they first got, they were, the, they were among the first people that got vaccinated. I said, maybe you want to wait a little bit. They, they didn't, of course, didn't want to listen to me. They actually have friends of theirs who are pressuring them saying, why are you letting Stephanie stay in the house? Because she's unvaccinated. Well, I don't go anywhere out of respect for them. And there's really not much for me to go out and do anyway right now with all of the crazy lockdowns and people being paranoid and whatever. So I'm taking this time to better myself personally. It's, it's almost like I'm on an extended retreat. I am working on my blog and working on my business and taking Zoom classes and on all that stuff. So I have a pretty full life despite the fact that I never go anywhere. And fortunately we live, uh, we actually live off the Chesapeake. So I have access to water in the summer, I was kayaking and swimming and, and actually doing stand-up paddleboard. So it's really not that bad. It could be a lot worse. However, I had a, I had a nightmare that I had somehow gone out to some uh, restaurant or bar and there were some people there and I was kind of feeling bad that I couldn't fully participate. And then I started getting panicky that I was going to catch the COVID and bring it back to my family and that my family was going to be like super pissed off at me about it. So I was trying to leave because I felt like I, I felt vulnerable and I just, I woke up and I was like, oh, I can't believe that I am embodying this fear and it's just crazy. So even though I write about this constantly and ultimately I'm not, I've, I apparently still haven't had COVID. I keep thinking I might've gotten it and then I'll get like an antibodies test and I don't have any antibodies for it. So either I've got some T cells that have been fighting whatever it is off or God forbid, because I've been now exposed and living with people who've been double vaxxed and boosted, I'm actually have uh, just spike protein antibodies. In which case I might be vulnerable in the way that the vaccinated are apparently more vulnerable to Omicron because if you've been following some of the, the news, uh, the there's this uh, data coming out from the UK that is showing that people who have been double vaxxed and boosted might actually be more prone to catching Omicron, spreading Omicron. They might even be more vulnerable to a more serious illness even as the, as the time goes by. Now, initially, particularly in the US, they like to blame it all on the unvaccinated, but uh, if you look at quite a few of the stats, often they'll lump in unvaccinated people with people who had a shot and it, and 14 days haven't gone by. So it's really hard to tell whether they're truly unvaccinated or they've recently just gotten a shot. 
So all that said, uh, some people are really concerned that we might be looking at original antigenic sin, OAS, or antibody-dependent enhancement, ADE. They are kind of related, but two different things. And I won't get into all that technical hoo-ha here because I have more I want to talk about, but that would be really bad. And I want my family to be well, healthy, happy, and, and whole. And I, I don't begrudge people who are, uh, particularly older people, because they grew up at a time, the baby boomers, even though a lot of them can use the internet and they're on Facebook, they did not grow up with dis- distributed news and technology. They grew up with television. So they, now not all older people, I know older people who, I know someone who, who is uh, at that age range who believes that the vaccine killed his um, 90-something-year-old mother. So it's not all, but, but there's a tendency among that generation to trust what's on the television, and I don't blame them for that. So uh, also in the news, Hawaii is requiring a booster to go travel to Hawaii. Your other options are to get a, a negative test within 24 hours of arriving or you have to be stuck in your hotel for five days. And of course, this makes no sense since we know that uh, people who are vaccinated and boosted are probably more likely to catch and spread Omicron than the unvaccinated, but that doesn't stop people. And now we're seeing people calling for the mandating of flu shots. A, a opinion piece in the Baltimore Sun just came out saying, hey, why don't we mandate flu shots? What? Jeez, people, here's the thing. You know, there's a lot of, and I've said this in in one of my articles. This is actually the article that got me kicked off a of medium. If we just want to cut down on the number of deaths, there's so many things that we could do to just cut down on number of deaths. But all of those things would be inconveniencing people and people have decided that the risk is worth it. So we could cut down on what, 40,000 or more deaths a year of people in car accidents if we lowered the speed limit and maybe we could make cars safer. Why don't we have roll bars installed in all automobiles? That would that would certainly cut down on deaths, but we don't do it. So this idea that like we need to somehow prioritize vaccinating people against flu, which in a bad year might cause maybe 60,000 deaths. So maybe a little bit more than uh, than automobile accidents. It, it just this isn't about saving lives per se. This is about people pushing their particular medical cult, medical religion on other people. So I, I, I just find this very alarming. And I just, when I started writing about this stuff, and, and believe you me, I didn't want to get out into all this political stuff. I'm sick and tired of the politics. I'm sick and tired of the division. I am sick and tired of, of, of all the fighting and whatnot, particularly in America. And I was just going to focus on sound healing and Ayurveda and just talking about nice things like herbs and not getting into all of this controversy. But when all of this stuff started coming down with these vaccine mandates, I was like, I have to speak up because this is, you know, if we don't stop this, we are in some serious trouble because it's going to extend beyond the COVID vaccine mandates. And now look, now they're trying to push for flu vaccine mandates. And then what else are they going to mandate? So are they going to mandate psychiatric drugs because some of us uh, don't buy into their narrative? I I will bet you money some people are going to start calling for that. And then we're looking at that movie Equilibrium with Christian Bale, which I keep meaning to rewatch. That was a good movie. So 
here I am and I got to talk about all this crap. So the other thing I wanted to talk about today was this whole thing of like, I've had kind of a theme lately in what I've been writing about in terms of trying to reach people and then people kind of just, there's this divide between people who are awake to the dangers of the path that we're on and people who don't see it. And then the people who are, you know, particularly very hostile to those of us who do see it. And I can get a little, I have to try to maintain my positive, I don't have a positive outlook. Let's just be honest. I am not that much of a positive person. And particularly right now, I'm not a positive person. So, so for whatever the reason, that story of that judge in Hamtramck, Michigan, I believe her name is Alexis Crott. So Alexis Crott was the judge who yelled at that 72-year-old man because he didn't, you know, clean up this scrubby brush in the alleyway, the alleyway behind his house. Now, there's there's an old garage there, and there was a couple of bushes, and... To me, now I spent almost 20 years in Los Angeles. I looked at that I looked at that picture and I was like, that's pretty much all of Los Angeles right there. <laughs> like unless you're in Beverly Hills, that's like kind of like that's actually nice compared to what I used to live around when I was in LA. So 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 this snobby snobby woman was just uh, you know, acting like this was like the worst thing he could have possibly done and berating him and saying shame on you. And, and this disturbed me so deeply. And now there's all sorts of horrors that go on. And I, of course, there's that story, speaking of Los Angeles, of that young college student who was working at the luxury furniture store in Los Angeles. And then she was murdered by a guy who randomly walked in, or they think he randomly walked in. They're saying it was a random thing. But for all we know, he's a serial killer and he targets young college age women and he just decides to go and do it in the daylight now i don't know so they're kind of making assumptions that that this was just kind of random at any rate um that is very horrifying but somehow that horrifies me less than this alexis crot woman and i was trying to figure out exactly why why that is now i, I just also want to note that that area of la brea where that um quote unquote luxury furniture store is I remember that row. I used to, I haven't been back to LA since I left. It's like I got out of there and I never looked back. So I haven't been there since 2010. But that area of La Brea, it's not very nice. It's weird. It's kind of like everything in that part of the whole Hollywood area and La Brea and that kind of central LA basin is just kind of shabby and worn down. And then you'll have these shops and then you go in and there's all this high-end luxury furniture. So it, it's not necessarily the nicest area, but but the shops in and of themselves, they definitely have this kind of, uh, that's been known as the trendy furniture area for a long time. Anyway, so why why does Alexis crop bother me more than a, you know some jerk who went and, and, and killed a young woman? I mean, it, it all bothers me. Uh, because, because to me, it's like Alexis Crot is someone who's been put into a position of power and I can, I, I feel in some ways I feel bad talking about her because what if she's actually, she was just having a bad day and, and maybe she's nicer than I realized. So, so my apologies, I, I, but see, that's me being a nice person. She acted like a sociopath and it's very possible that she is a full-blown sociopath. And there are studies that show that maybe one in 25 people are sociopaths. And I like to think that certain people are actually capable of 
reform. That's kind of in my heart. I want everybody to go to heaven. I want everybody to be saved. But apparently there's one in 25 people who, for whatever the reason, they don't have compassion. They don't love. They're just cold, ice-blooded, cold people. So the guy who went and killed the girl in La, on La Brea, he's probably also a sociopath who just happens to not have the fetters of society around him. And so he's just going off and doing whatever the hell he wants because he's outside of society. He's, uh, and they were saying that he's homeless and he's been in all these different states and he's had these arrest warrants and they just, they never fully prosecuted him. And, and that was the other thing I did want to comment on. Her, her, the, the victim's father was really pissed off and said, you know, if he'd been properly put in jail, this wouldn't have happened, which is probably true. But there's this tendency now to say, well, you know, he came from a, from a poor background and he's disadvantaged and blah, 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 blah. So, so I'm sorry. That can explain theft, robbery, and stealing. That does not explain just going and murdering some beautiful young woman. Being poor and disadvantaged does not make you a murderer, okay? Being poor and disadvantaged might make you desperate, might make you steal, and I, I have compassion for that, but it doesn't make you go and kill people. So there's something else in that person that made him a murderer. And so I'm going to tie this back in with that judge. That judge is in society. She's been given a post. She has the the approval of society. So... I'm not saying she's a murderer, <laughs> but I'm saying that she might have similar tendencies to that that man who killed the young woman, but because she's been given this position of power and she has all of the luxury and whatnot. So I guess I'm I guess in some way I'm saying that like if you aren't in society, you're just more able to just go and do your impulses. But but anyway, she 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 has the same temperament as that man in a way. They're not that different, but she has now gotten this position where she can lord over others. And that makes her very, very dangerous. Is she someone that can be saved and can she repent? And I don't mean this in a necessarily in a Christian way, but is she someone that can become uh, kinder and nicer? And this is really the question that I have. The question is, why am I writing what I'm writing? Am I able to sway anybody's minds and hearts? Do people actually change? I know some of them do. I know I have. But then there's a certain segment where they just don't change. It's like they you can't get through to them. They, they have something broken inside of them where they're just unable to see and they don't want to see. And no matter how hard you try, they just can't, they don't get it. And they think that they are the good ones. So this reminds me of this book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce. And C.S. Lewis was a, a Christian apologist. So he definitely comes from that, uh, that background, but he's, a, he's very, uh, very intellectual and creative. And he also wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. So I think he's probably the best Christian writer that, at least in modern times. And I really enjoy, I love the Chronicles of Nernery. I grew up with that. And I also enjoy a lot of his essays and his, his books. So The Great Divorce is about hell. And the people that he describes as being in hell are people like Judge Alexis Crott, 
they're normal people for the most part. The, he doesn't talk a lot about mass murderers or whatnot. He mentions Genghis Khan and Napoleon and what, or whatnot being in hell. But most of the examples he gives of people being in hell are basically normal people who are so wrapped up in themselves and so narcissistic that they, they have basically separated themselves from everybody else. So I just wanted to read a little excerpt about his idea of hell and I'll then comment on it a little bit more. So he says about uh, hell, uh, he talks about there, originally in his introduction, he talks about this idea that some people believe that like you can have heaven and hell together and he thinks they have to be separated. This is the idea of the great divorce is between heaven and hell and that you have to choose two roads and as you go down the two roads, the good road and the bad road, they diverge more and more the longer you go. Okay, so uh, he writes, I do not think that all who choose wrong roads perish, but their rescue consists in being put back on the right road. A wrong sum can be put right, but only by going back till you find the error and working it afresh from that point, never by simply going on. Evil can be undone, but it cannot develop into good. Time does not heal it. The spell must be unwound bit by bit with backward mutters of dissevering power, as he quotes, or else not. It is still either or. If we insist on keeping hell or even earth, we shall not see heaven. If we accept heaven, we shall not be able to retain even the smallest and most intimate souvenirs of hell. I believe to be sure that any man who reaches heaven will find that what he abandoned, even in plucking out his right eye, has not been lost, that the kernel of what he was really seeking, even in his most depraved wishes, will be there, beyond expectation, waiting for him in the high countries. In that sense, it will be true for those who have completed the journey, and for no others, to say that good is everything and heaven everywhere. But we, at this end of the road, must not try to anticipate that retrospective vision. If we do, we are likely to embrace the false and disastrous converse and false, oh, whoops, the disastrous converse and fancy that everything is good and everywhere is heaven. But what you ask of earth? Earth, I think, will not be found by anyone to be in the end a very distinct place. I think earth, if chosen instead of heaven, will turn out to have been all along, only a region in hell, and earth, if put second to heaven, to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself. Okay, so that's a lot to parse, and I probably will need to talk more about this in future articles and podcasts, but I, there's a lot of things that kind of float through my brain as I look at this, and one of them is this concept of uh, time not healing evil, and uh, it must be undone, but doesn't develop into good. And the spell must be unwound bit by bit, so that, that we have to be put on the right path. And sometimes you need to go back a little bit and then move forward. And it just makes me think that, you know, the problem that we're having right now with all of this COVID tyranny is that we're now on this path. And as we move forward, forward on the path, it gets harder and harder and harder to get back onto the right path. And as you can see, we already now have people saying now we need flu shot mandates. So we have to really think um, in some ways bigger, what got us to this point that we are already here 
we could start with COVID, but the at the time at which the roads diverged was way before COVID even happened. Uh, way before that, years and years of problems with how medicine has been done, the whole way the medical establishment was established, the whole way that big pharma took prominence. There's there's things that need to be unraveled way before this. So I'm not going to get into all that because <laughs> this could take hours and hours and hours. But I wanted to share another aspect of the book. So so the thing of the book, and this also just struck me, uh, I, have to, I haven't reread the whole thing yet. I read this whole book, um, I don't know, maybe seven years ago or something. And I, I am just starting to reread it. But he presents hell as a place where everybody is basically social distanced to the extreme. Now, I didn't think of it that way when I first read the book because we didn't have COVID. But now that I'm rereading it, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> this, this is an, it's a weird metaphor for, for COVID policy. Everybody who goes to hell, they live in this twilight town. And you can basically do what you want there. They, he doesn't talk about demons or hellfire, but basically everybody is isolated. And as they're there longer and longer, they get more and more irritated by their neighbors. And so they go and they move out farther and farther and farther away from each other so that the oldest inhabitants are living millions and millions and millions of miles away from other people. And they'll have, they live in these self-built houses that they create with their thoughts. So they're imaginary houses that they make with their minds. And uh, and so uh, I'm going to just read a little bit of dialogue that the, uh, this is not C.S. Lewis saying this, he's, there's the character uh, in this book has been in hell and he's uh, on a bus going somewhere else and trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, so... Um, uh, He's having a conversation with another man on the bus about people feeling a sense of safety in their houses. So the the narrator asks, safety from what? I began, but my companion nudged me to be silent. I changed my question. But look here, said I, if they can get everything just by imagining it, why would they want any real things as you call them? Ah, Oh, well, they'd like houses that really kept out the rain. That's the other person he's talking to. So the narrator says, their present houses don't? Well, of course not. How could they? And then the original uh, protagonist asks, what the devil is the use of building them then? The intelligent man put his head closer to mine. Safety again, he muttered. At least the feeling of safety. It's all right now, but later on, you understand. What, said I, almost involuntarily sinking my own voice to a whisper. He articulated noiselessly as if expecting that I understood lip reading. I put my ear close to his mouth. Speak up, I said. It will be dark presently, he mouthed. You mean the evening is really going to turn into a night in the end? He nodded. So, <laughs> I just thought... Here they are in their imaginary houses that they put up so they could keep out the rain, but they don't actually keep out the rain for this idea of safety that they are going to have from... Anyway, I hope you kind of get the metaphor here. So everybody in this book that is in hell that this man talks to is basically kind of either a narcissist or... And I apologize to the Karens out there. I, I think we need a new term, but they are Karen. 
we're a busybody. And they all have this kind of self-righteous, like, why am I here? I don't deserve to be here. <laughs> so I, some people might be offended because they might read this book and go like, well, boy, C.S. Lewis is a, is a real asshole. He's basically sending people to hell just for being, you know, minor jerks. But that's really not the point. The point of, of this whole book is that hell is a state of mind. Now he makes a distinction. He clearly says that heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is reality, but that hell is a state of mind and that people put themselves into hell through their own mindset. And that mindset is usually because they are so wrapped up in themselves that they can't see anything else or any other perspective. So to me, that speaks a lot to what we're dealing with here with this kind of self-made hell of the COVID world, because we have people who are very self-righteous. They are so wrapped up in their own perspective. They think that they're the ones being kind and compassionate. And yet at the same time, they're, they're calling for unvaccinated people to be put into camps or to uh, lose their jobs or to not get any medical care and basically die of COVID, these are the supposedly kind, compassionate people. And really it is a type of narcissism where they are getting an ego boost from feeling they're superior. Look at me, I got my jobs. They, uh, they are also buying into fear. So they're, I mean, I'm, a, I'm afraid of, I don't want my parents to get COVID. I'm afraid they might die from it because they are in, the, in a, 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 that percentage in their age range, they are at high risk. I'm not one of these people who thinks it's not real. Um, but I I try not to let that fear drive me, right? So that's the difference. They let the fear drive them. And I'm making generalizations. Not everybody's like this. But I'm, I'm just saying the worst case was <laughs> uh, they can't hear anything else because they have wrapped themselves up in their own little bubble, possibly. I'm just theorizing here. I would love to hear your thoughts and comments. There was also an interesting comment on my Substack yesterday. And, and that person said that um, she thinks that a lot of people are so missing real friction in their lives, real challenge and friction, because our lives can be kind of boring. You know, we, you know, if you're living in the suburbs and you're going to the same job every day, it's just kind of like a blah, kind of, it is kind of like a little bit of a hell maybe. And so she uh, thinks that um, we, uh, people are just reading things into stuff that isn't there so that they can have that thrill of being offended and lashing out and all this other stuff. I thought this was really, really interesting. And I, I definitely want to explore that idea more of this kind of type of like manufactured drama. I have to be careful myself because I can get a little feisty and I grew up, uh, well, I don't want to get into all that, but let's just say that alcoholism runs in my family. And when you grow up with that, then you kind of get used to drama and friction. And so when you don't have it around, you can unconsciously try to manufacture it and, or you just get reactive. So I have to be careful that I don't get reactive. I'm certainly a lot calmer than I was when I was younger, but uh, you know, and people would be surprised because like Stephanie is so laid back and so nice. And then when they, you know, uh, offended me in some way, I'd get super, super pissed and they'd be all shocked and act like I was the most, like, how dare you get so mad? You didn't get mad before. I'm like, well, you, I am human. <laughs> like you're mad at me now. Like how is that any different? But anyway, uh, I, I did end up like, 
having some falling outs with people because I would get mad and I would like, actually what I would do is I would write them a very nasty email, very long, lengthy, nasty email. And as you can see, I'm a very prolific writer. So when I take somebody to task in an email, it's, it's very, very epic <laughs> and, and, and not nice. And I'm, I apologize if you are one of the people who has gotten on the, on the back end of one of my nasty long emails. Uh, every once in a while, I, I will still do that. <laughs> I have to be really careful with myself. Stephanie, write it and then throw it away. Um, anyway, that's an aside. So uh, um, heaven and hell. Uh, and, and, and related to this, uh, I believe there's a lot of fear of death going out uh, around. Uh, we can't stop everybody from dying of the flu. And honest to God, we shouldn't. And you're like, how dare you say that? You're not, you're not compassionate. Are we thinking that we're all going to live forever here on this planet? I mean, what is the, what is the ultimate goal? To stop all sickness and death? I'm a healer, or I like to try to be a healer, or a healing practitioner, or a healing facilitator. I don't like to see people sick. I hate sickness. I hate being sick. I Sickness is my enemy. If I had my way, everybody would die of, of a natural cause. But what is that? So eventually, you're going to have to die of a heart attack, or you're going to die of something. So if there's an older person, I'm not talking a young person, but if there's an older person who gets the flu, and they're 86 years old and they've lived a good life, maybe that's the way they go out. And maybe that's actually kinder for them than letting them get cancer, which is horrible. You know, I mean, so this is another problem that we have. We, we have, and at the same time, these same people are like, climate change is going to destroy the planet. Well, why are you trying so hard to make sure that nobody dies? <laughs> if you think that that's the case, I don't get it. So we have to kind of come to terms with the fact that we're all going to die. Now, yes, there are these people who are the transhumanists are apparently trying to put our consciousness into a computer so they don't die. I don't really want that personally. I am not looking forward to dying. Dying scares me, but I am a spiritual person. I don't know if I believe in uh, reincarnation or not, but I have actually done reincarnation um what do you call it? Uh, re uh, past life regressions. Uh, I've done workshops and I would tell people, look, this might not be uh, literal. It might be figurative. It might be your imagination, but it will tell something about yourself. Pretty much everybody in the workshops would have memories of past lives and everybody was every other gender and race. So this idea that you're just like one race, it, it, no, every, I've, I've apparently, if, if my past lives are true, I've been Male, female, black, Asian, uh, Indian. I mean, India from India. I've been like all sorts of different people. I'm still not sure if I 100% believe it, but we've all been everything. And a lot of people, every single major religion basically says we were in paradise and then we messed up and we got sent down here and we are not in paradise anymore. So what does that tell you? That kind of tells you that if you're not in paradise, you are kind of in a version of hell. So what is, what is the purpose of all religion? To get back to paradise. We have different ways of doing it. Sometimes you go through Jesus. Sometimes you do it through a lot of meditation and yoga so you achieve enlightenment. Uh, or you get rid of your desires as in Buddhism or in Sufism. You surrender yourself to God and you clean yourself of your ego so that you can be completely clear and allow that light in. It's all about clearing ourselves 
and getting back to heaven, which is what C.S. Lewis is talking about in A Great Divorce. So, and I know people who've had uh, near-death experiences. And one person I know, she, she was floating above herself when she was in the hospital. And then they pulled her back and she got mad at her mom. Said, mom, why did you bring me back? She didn't feel any pain when she was out of her body. She felt better and she felt happier and lighter. So we're fighting so freaking hard to stay here in hell or purgatory. It's I'm not saying we should go and off ourselves because we're not supposed to do that. We're here to, per, you know, to clear ourselves so that we can go back to the source. But I mean, come on, we're not going to be here forever. And I think a lot of people have not dealt with that. And that is what is driving a lot of this COVID fear and paranoia. And so ultimately the solution to all this is probably spiritual. <sighs> I got to go. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this long and rambly podcast. And I would love to hear your comments. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.